Good morning, everybody. Happy Easter. <laughs> happy Resurrection Sunday. Come on, happy Resurrection Sunday. So wonderful to have you here. And honestly, what a powerful weekend we're having. Friday night, if you weren't in the house, I just, I was in tears Friday night. So impacted. And I actually, can, I, can we actually just, while you guys are all up here, on behalf of all the team and this morning and the choir, can we just thank all of our worship team, tech team, creative team, everybody's doing the technical. Thank you so much because you've led us powerfully and uh, Izzy and Simone lead the team. But you let us have power. And then Friday night, we were just uh, all impacted. I gave my life to the Lord in the first service on Friday night, and then I rededicated it in the 7 o'clock. So, so it's so powerful. But again this morning, just so powerful to be in God's presence and uh, so powerful to be with God's people. And if you are new to church, we give you an extra special big welcome today. So friends and family, whoever you are, big, big welcome today. Extra special welcome. So Resurrection Sunday, it means so much. And around the world, just remember again, everybody, this is not a select little club. <laughs> uh, around the world, there are literally hundreds of millions of people all over the world, every nation, every culture, every continent, every ethnic group. There are people right now gathering to worship and to honor Jesus Christ, His sacrifice, sacrifice on the cross, and then the fact that He rose from the dead just as He said He would. How amazing. Come on, how incredible. I think we should give the Lord a huge clap today. Come on, give the Lord a huge clap. So amazing. Let me just read to you from Luke 24, and then I'm going to pray over you and pray with us. So Luke 24, verse 1. Resurrection Sunday, it says this. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. That would be angels, folks. <laughs> then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how He spoke to you when He was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this incredible day. Lord, what it represents. It's beyond our comprehension. But Father, today we just say, Jesus, we love you and we just are so, so grateful for your amazing sacrificial love the giving of your life freely on the cross. And we just thank you that today we have eternal life because you rose from the dead. We thank you, Jesus, that because of your rising today, we will rise also. And Father, I just pray for everybody today. And I pray, Lord, give us a fresh revelation, fresh understanding of what you have done. Let us, let us even today glean a little more 
at the wonder of what you've done, Jesus, in your coming. Thank you that we are alive in this life. Without you, we exist. But with you, we started to live. Father, let everybody, I pray this morning in our 1030 service, let everybody come alive. And let them come alive in you and to you. And Father, as they do, let their life be changed for eternity. Let their friends be changed. Let their family be changed. I pray, God, that they be changed by your amazing love. And Father, we just give you all the praise. We give you all the thanks. Lord, the fact that we can be saved today because of what you did on the cross. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Can we give the Lord one more hand, everybody? Come on, give the Lord one more hand. Amen. Now just give somebody another welcome. Get the elbows out, the elbow move, and you can grab your seats. So good. Thank you, team. How amazing. The women come to the tomb, and Jesus is gone. And by the way, everybody, when the Bible says the stone was rolled away, that was not um, a prop from a movie. <laughs> you know, that, was, that was a one and a half to two ton stone. It's impossible to be moved. And also, the Romans had put a guard by the tomb to make sure that Jesus did not get out of the grave as he said he would, because they knew that the crowd had been following him and that, in fact, he would become the leader of his people and potentially rise up against the Roman Empire. So they were intent on keeping Jesus in that tomb. But that one and a half to two ton stone was rolled away. And everybody, you need to realize, too, that the history bears out that crucifixion was only in for nine years. It was one of the cruelest deaths that you could ever have. It was absolutely horrendous. And, uh, and you basically hang on a cross and, cross and you suffocate slowly. It's just absolutely horrendous as you try and pull yourself up to breathe. But we won't go into that. But Jesus, one translation says that he was marred beyond human likeness. There was literally not much left of him after he'd suffered. The passion got pretty close, right? When Jesus was literally destroyed uh, pretty well before he got to the cross and then on the cross. And, and so the angels, though, say, you know, they're like surprised. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? The women are like, what? We saw him tortured. We saw him destroyed. Then we saw him crucified. And he's like, no, 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 he's alive. Everybody, you need to know that Jesus is alive today. And he continues to change lives all over the world. And this Easter, it's not about the bunny, it's about the lamb. <laughs> it's not about the bunny, it's about the lamb, the lamb of God, who God chose his only son who would go and be sacrificed on the cross for your sin and mine. And that, I talked Friday night why, you know, if you heard my ski story, when I crashed into the tree and then bled and then fainted very badly at an inappropriate moment straight out the shower curtain as I saw my own blood rush. Why was that? Because the power is in the blood. The life is in the blood. That's why many times doctors and nurses will say, how are you with blood? And uh, many of us are not good. It's because the power is in it. And it's like a shadow of the fact that the only way you can be saved is through Christ's blood, Jesus' blood. It's the power of the blood that saves us. And, uh, and so Jesus is the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. But it's amazing. The angels are saying to the women, why are you looking for the living amongst the, the, uh, among the dead? Why are you doing that? He's alive. 
But many of us don't realize that we're living our lives still searching out things that are dead. Can I encourage you, anything outside of Jesus in the middle of it will leave you at some parts of your heart, some part of your mind and your life with deadness. And many people are involved in things that they look like they're going to promise something, but in fact, they don't deliver. How many people have gone after money? Money is the goal. Some of you right now are going after money. That is your goal. Well, can I tell you, it will not fulfill you. It will not make you ultimately happy. I'm always amused how people focus on Hollywood and Instagram stylists, and I'm thinking, they're that insecure and unhappy. They're trying to be accepted by everybody. I don't need to be accepted by anybody but one person. And if he accepts me, everybody, I'm happy. <laughs> I'm happy. Really happy. But people go through relationship to relationship to relationship. They'll go from house to house to house. They'll go from city to city to city. They'll go from church to church to church. When all of it is really not important in the light of who Jesus is and the life he wants to bring you. Literally, I believe everybody outside of Christ is existing until you meet him. Then you come alive. Your heart comes alive. Your mind comes alive. Your spirit comes alive. And Jesus wants you to be alive. And by the way, he's not found in religion. He's found in relationship. When I go, when I go to Europe and uh, you know, with our church in Germany, you will find me in one of the beautiful churches at Sunstage on that trip. And I love the beautiful churches what they represent. I love the fact that a lot of people have sacrificed to build these churches, particularly in Europe, that are absolutely unbelievable. Obviously, beautiful artists have painted Jesus, incredible pictures, incredible work they put in the churches. People gave their money, their time, their sacrifice. But listen, if they didn't have a relationship with the Lord, it's all at the end of the day meaningless because you're not saved by religion. I went to a religious school. In actual fact, as I said Friday night, it inoculated me against Jesus. Because everything was so religious, I thought God's like he's in the 15th century. And I had this picture of this God, because, you know, the, my school was religious. And then I thought, God must be religious. He must be mean and miserable. And then I thought, he mustn't like me, and then I don't care for this. So it inoculated me like, uh, like a vaccination. There we go. And, and uh, against wanting to be a Christian. But I didn't realize that is actually not Jesus. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive on planet Earth. And he, this is the kingdom of the heart. Anything else is a Mickey. <laughs> and a Mickey means it looks like the real thing, but it's not. It looks like the real thing, but it's not. God, Jesus didn't come for us to be religious. In fact, if he had any challenges, if you look through the Gospels, Jesus' challenges were never with the sinners. He was inviting himself to the sinner's house. His challenge was with the religious people. He was always like, listen, he'd be re like rebuking, if you like, the religious, because this is the kingdom of the heart. But I want to encourage you, God's saying to some of us this morning, come out of the dead things. Come out of the dead things. What are the dead things where you're looking for life? Why are you looking among the dead for life? Jesus is saying to you today, come out of the dead things and come to him. He's alive. And there's some things we think, oh, well, they're okay things. Really? Are they producing life in you? They're producing life in your emotions, life in your heart, life in your relationships, life in your spirit, life in your purpose and calling. 
Well, otherwise they could be dead things that have got hold of you, but they're actually counterfeits for the real thing. And who is the real thing? His name is Jesus Christ. Come on. And the other one is, you know, it's kind of like, I'm sure that the women were hoping Jesus was alive, but I'm, there's another part where I think they're kind of expecting him to be dead because they're at the tomb. Everybody, can I encourage you? Stop expecting Jesus to be dead. Stop expecting Jesus to be dead. Stop expecting him to be some religious icon that's dead and doesn't move. Listen, he's alive. He's the God who is alive. He's the God who moves. He's the God who speaks. I've been amused again this Easter as I've, you know, tuned into a couple of different things, ABC, a couple of other things, and they got professors on of divinity, and they're talking about Christianity, and they're talking about Jesus, and they come on, and it's, you, it's like 10 minutes of um, pride. Listen to people come on, well, this and this fact, and I'm like, listen, you were born in Belden in 1990. <laughs> you really are not <laughs> in a place to be declaring to the universe and the world who Jesus is and the Bible. And, you know, you have all the, 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 these intellectual facts. We need to be so careful because the enemy loves to get people full of pride delivering the gospel to people. When Jesus made it so plain and so clear, he said to the religious people, there are prostitutes and sinners going into heaven ahead of you. Because you say, he said to them, because you say you see, this is the religious people, because you say you see, because you say I know, I see, I understand. Jesus turned to the religious and said, your sin remains. Your sin remains. Your guilt remains. But to the prostitute, the sinner, the humble, who says, Jesus, I don't know everything. I'm empty. I'm blind. I can't see you. I don't understand. But nevertheless, I put my faith in you. Jesus says, I'm coming to your heart. I'm coming to your house. <laughs> Jesus didn't, he didn't come so people could be having intellectual discussions about everything. He came to set us free from death and hell, the grave, and set you free from addiction and bondage. That's why he came. And, uh, and also, by the way, too, when people talk about, well, I'm about the cross, I'm about Jesus. Listen, there is absolutely no reason for the early church to have grown at all. No reason at all. That early church grew to 200, 300,000 people in the first century. Majority Jewish people coming to Christ. There was absolutely no reason for that early church to grow at all. None whatsoever. Jewish people leaving their their, their religion, as it were, to become completed Jews as believers. They were losing their social standing. They would lose their family. It could be at risk of their lives. And others, the same, not just the Jewish people. The only reason that you would do that, the only reason was because Jesus Christ was now risen from the dead. That's it. And historians tell us, along with the Bible, that he appeared to the three, then the 12, then the 70. Then in Corinthians, it says over 500 people at one time saw Jesus risen from the dead. 
How incredible. That is the only reason that church grew. And by the way, Jesus only spoke for three years. As I said last service, some of you moved house three years ago and you still haven't even unpacked the boxes. <laughs> like, and, in, and in three years, Jesus speaks, prays, heals people, and in three years, changes the world. The world. History, music, greatest music ever written to him, greatest artworks, galleries of the world, everybody who's visited him, to him. He ministered for three years. What? That's because he's God. The only God. If you want to have, if you want to give your life for something valuable, give it to him. Give it to him. When I met Jesus Christ all those years ago, his love so touched my heart. And if you remember those who I heard my testimony, when I became a Christian, I was, I was not a Christian at all at the time and would swear like a trooper, everything. And I, my question to God was, why are you doing this to me? I can feel your love now. Why are you doing that? Why are you loving me? I wouldn't. I wouldn't love me. And God's response to me was, I've always loved you and I always will. Everybody, God's always loved you and he always will. When I met God's love, my priorities changed and everything that I thought I was so interested in and I've got to travel, I've got to do lots of things in my life, lots of things from that place, but all of it without Jesus is meaningless. But with him in the center, my life is fulfilled. When Jesus in the Gospels, came to the woman at the well. I love that story. He's at the well, and Jewish men didn't even speak to women. And there's a woman at the well, and she's Samaritan, which makes the story even super more interesting because she's mixed race, and you certainly didn't talk to a woman, and you also didn't go near mixed race people, and you didn't touch them. So the Samaritans were of a mixed race, and Jesus goes to the well, the woman's drawing water, and he says, uh, why don't you give me a drink? She's like, what? What? Why, why would you speak to me? I'm a woman and I'm a mixed, mixed race Samaritan. And Jesus starts talking with her. And then Jesus says to her, you've had five husbands. She's like, who are you? Who are you to tell me I've had five husbands? And he goes, and the one you're with now is not your husband. That makes six and Jesus says, I want to give you water where you never thirst again. Don't you love the grace of God? Jesus pushes through all cultural barriers to go to a broken woman who he's just told you've got five husbands. You've had five. The one you're with now, who's number six, but he isn't your husband. And if you look in the scripture, Seven in the scripture, numbers have meaning in the Bible. Seven means completion. Jesus was saying, I'm the seventh man coming to you, but I'm the one who's going to bring completion to your life. Everybody, you're doing so many things, going to so many people. And Jesus says, 
all the while it's been hidden from you, your fulfillment, real fulfillment, not fleeting fulfillment, your real fulfillment and completion is in me. Number seven. (laughs) Your real completion will be found in Jesus Christ. But you need to know without the resurrection, we have no hope. But because of the resurrection, we all have hope today that when you leave this life, listen, you'll live again. Everybody, it's time for life. Too many people are in the dead places of life. Too many of us have been in the dead places of life. I want to say to everybody this morning, it's time for you to live. It's time for you to live. Everybody in the middle, it's time for you to live. Everybody on this side, it's time for you to come alive. Come on, everybody in the middle, it's time for you to come alive. Come on, it's time for you to come alive. Jesus says, leave the dead things. I talked about that last week. Why does Jesus talk about sin and sin being a problem? People think sin should be celebrated. No, Jesus says, you know, uh, give our sin to him. Why is it a problem, sin? Because it doesn't affect God's love for me. Sin affects my love for God. That's why it's so deadly, because it separates me from him and his great love. You know, I used to be concerned about the borrowed tomb. They said a borrowed tomb. Jesus got a borrowed tomb. I used to be concerned about that, but then I realized, and I forgot, it was borrowed because he wasn't staying for long. (laughs) Jesus wouldn't be there for long. It was three days. It was like an Airbnb. (laughs) In and out. Jesus was in, and then he was out. And in actual fact, Jesus even declared it and prophesied it to the religious people, the Sanhedrin in John chapter 2, verse 18, it says, but the Jewish leaders demanded, what are you doing? They were saying this to Jesus because he'd gone into the temple. He was in the temple, which housed God's presence. But the people were there. They were selling. They had like market going. They were doing things, making money in God's house. And he'd gone in to say, hey, listen, this is not what you do in God's house. And they said, what are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. All right, Jesus replied. He said, destroy this temple, and in three days, I'll raise it up. They're like, what? They exclaimed. It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you can rebuild it in three days? But when Jesus said the temple, he meant his own body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this, and they believed both the Scriptures and what Jesus had said. Jesus declared in front of the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, I'm not talking about the temple. I'm talking about kill me. And in three days, I'll raise myself. (laughs) C.S. Lewis, the great English literary genius who wasn't a believer. I'd say he was an atheist. Then came to Christ. He says he came to Christ because of his mind. He said said this quote. I, I really... I think it's powerful. He said, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus Christ. They say this, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. He said, that is, that is the one thing we must never say. 
A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can do what I've done and fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let none of us come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. Everybody, I think he just nailed it for all of us. 1 Peter 2 says, Therefore to you who believe, he's precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, the Bible says, being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. But you, who are, but you are a chosen generation, those who are believers and born again, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Look at this. His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. We were not a people. We were individuals rebelling, sinning, doing our thing. And then God touches your life. We respond to it. And then God says, I brought you into my family. Now you become a royal priesthood. Now you become a sons and daughters of the king. And he says, and you have now obtained mercy. What is mercy? It's active compassion. God says, I'm actively compassionate to you. As I said Friday night, stop being mean to yourself because God is certainly not mean to you. God wants you to be kind to yourself because He is kind. You know, God formed us. Sin deformed us. The Scripture now informs us. And through that, Christ has now transformed us. If you're a believer, Christ has transformed you. No longer the same. Any believers here? Anybody experience some transformation? Just give me a wave. I think I need to say that one more time. God formed us. Sin deformed us. The Scripture now informs us. And Christ has now, if you're born again, transformed us. All over the world, this Easter weekend, the Jews have been celebrating the Passover, where in the Old Testament, one of the plagues was that they, the firstborn child of, uh, in Egypt, you would lose your child unless you put blood on the lentils, the doorposts of your house, and the angel of death passed over. And the uh, Jewish people still celebrate Passover every year. But what's amazing is that within the Passover, Jesus once again is hidden. The Bible talks about that. The Jewish people would not see. There'd be a blindness. But the great thing is right now, um, you need to try and get on YouTube and watch One for Israel. I think it is One for Israel or One in Israel. One for Israel. It's got the most amazing testimonies. So many of them. Rabbis, 
right through to young teenage Jewish people getting touched and discovering their Jewish Messiah. It's incredible. And now what they start out with is these testimonies uh, going out. Uh, Israel's about 11 million people, I think. Well, now they've got something like 10 million views of their videos every month or two around the world. But now in Israel, the Jewish people are for the first time in their history getting the gospel on their phone, their iPad, their TV. It's an incredible time. Pray for the Jewish people because so many right now are coming to Christ. It's a miracle. But in the Passover, it's so incredible because there's this miracle happening to reveal Jesus and they don't even see it. And uh, we got a, a, Sue's got a very good friend right now who's Orthodox Jew and we're so touched and I love Sue's really ministering the love of Christ to her. But Sue uh, and I have got a bit of an understanding about the Passover. They have these three loaves of bread, if you like, the matzah bread. And these three loaves, which uh, every family will have and they're extended pay come to have the Passover, the three loaves are on the table and the middle loaf, listen everybody, of these three loaves are taken out. What do the three loaves represent? They represent Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Elohim, which we sang today, is actually means plurality in the Godhead. When we're singing Ele- Elohim, we're singing the plurality in the Godhead. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Co-equal, co-existent, co-eternal. Co-equal, co-existent, co-eternal. But they take out the middle loaf, right? And this middle loaf is distinguished from the other two loaves. The Jewish people are celebrating this around the world and they don't know why it's distinguished. Why is it? It's because the, the other two loaves is the Father and the Holy Spirit. The middle loaf is Jesus. Why is that loaf distinguished by the Jew, Jewish people? Because Jesus was taken out of heaven for you and me. They take the loaf that is the middle loaf They cut it in half, basically. And what they do is they return half of it back to the other two loaves, the Father and the Holy Spirit. And the other half of the loaf is um, uh, covered, half wrapped, and it's hidden somewhere in the house. They take this half of the middle loaf and they hide it somewhere in the house. The other half is covered in linen and returned to the Father and to the Holy Spirit. Then here's what they do. They then say, children, go and find the, the name is Afikoman, Afikoman, whichever way you want to pronounce it. And they say, children, go and find this half of the loaf, the middle loaf, Jesus, who was distinguished, set aside, taken out of heaven. And the children go looking for the loaf. They run around the house. They're trying to find it. When they find this half a loaf, they bring it back to the table, listen, and the children are given a gift. Why do they send the children out to look for it? Matthew Mark 10 says, I'll tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. You have to come as a child. The Jewish people don't even know why they send the children. The children come back and they're all given a gift. What's the gift? What is the gift? The Bible tells us, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus is giving the childlike of heart the gift of eternal life. So the children are all like, oh, excited, I've got a gift, not realizing it represents you and I coming childlike by faith to Christ. And when we come, we receive the gift of salvation. Here's what they do. They then get that half of loaf. The other half that's there is speaking of how Jesus went to the Father from when He rose from the dead. 
The Father accepted the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, and Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father. In the Old Testament, that means the sacrifice was accepted and complete. Jesus sits down. The other half, they break it up. They're sitting there with the children, the adults around the table. They're breaking it up, and they give the bread pieces to each other. They're giving it out. They're giving it out. Everybody's sharing it out. And everybody takes a piece. Listen, everybody takes a piece of that half that was left, and they take it home until Passover the following year. What is that about? They're taking it home because it means after you've received the gift, which the children just did, the gift of salvation, this is what you shall know as per Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will always be with you. And the Jewish people all take the peace home, not knowing it's representation of us who've been born again, that you take Jesus home with you every day. Welcome to church. <laughs> Keep coming to the Lord. That's great. How amazing. Our God says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And the Jewish people don't even realize what's happening. But for you and I, He's no longer hidden when you're born again. Come to Jesus today, this Resurrection Sunday, you can take Him home. You can take Him home. You can take Him home. You say, how do I do that? He lives in your heart and He will never leave you nor forsake you. John 11, as we get ready to sing, Jesus says, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Can we stand up, everybody, and sing to our resurrected Savior? And let's just give thanks and praise that today, hello, that today you can be saved. Come on.
But I know that today God has brought you here. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what's brought you here today. I don't know what you are facing, but I know that there is a God in heaven who knows. He loves you. The Bible says that while you're in your mother's womb, He knit you together. He formed you. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, but I know, God says to you, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to give you a hope, a future to bless you. And like I said, I know, I was like Pastor, I was like what Pastor Jared said with the, the woman around the well. You know, when we don't have Jesus, when we don't have Him,